Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. And I know that as we've talked about mission, vision, we looked at the past. Let me ask you a question. Do you get frustrated or discouraged when you find closed doors of opportunity in your life? I think that, in fact, it was best said by someone when they said, life is filled with insurmountable opportunities. And it seems that way. It seems like there's opportunities, there are doors out there for us to walk through, and then we try the handle, and they're just, they're just closed. And as we look at what God has provided for us already here at our church, so many, so many open doors in our church, but so many closed ones as well. Now, what I want to do in this message this morning is not only look at the mission and vision, but how is it going to apply as well, but keep this in mind. All the way through the years, people have told me, Pastor, I look at the vision of the church, I see us accomplishing those things, and it gives me hope in my own life. In fact, some have told me that because of what they've learned about their own spiritual life and, and the church and how it's going, wow, they, they've said, God, if you can do that in the church, then you can do that in my life as well. So we're going to apply this to your life as well as apply it to the church's life as well. We've been talking about the past heritage, a legacy, honoring God, a legacy that talks about faithfulness, faith in God, with a story that we had last week about the 13 gentlemen signing their homes away for uh, collateral for one of these buildings. Faithfulness, faith, the teaching and preaching of God's word long before I came, evangelism and missions even before I came, before you were here as well. This is a legacy. This is a heritage. But we want to look at the past in order to learn from the past so you and I can go and catapult ourselves into the future as well. Our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. You just saw a video about that just a few moments ago. Now, that's what we do every day. That is our mission every single day, not just on Sunday, but all during the week. Our vision is our purpose to it all, the why behind it all, the hope of where we're going in the future. And our vision is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ wherever we live, work, play, and go, that one day we'll be able to say the sun never sets on the ministry of Cross Life Church. And as we look at this, a very unusual passage is something we find in the book of Revelation. It's talking about a church that has before them an open door. Now, as we look at this book, this book is about the last three and a half years before the second coming of Jesus Christ. John was on an island of Patmos. John was the last of the disciples, the last one to die, probably about 90 years old or so. He found himself in exile because he was preaching the gospel and wouldn't stop. He says back here in, in chapter 1, if I can just give you a little background, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom of the patient, patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus was on the island <clears throat> called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, what I just said. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, and saying, write what you see in the book and send it to seven churches. He lists the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, and to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I, turning, I saw seven golden lampstands representing the churches. Seven different churches. 
what significance do they play in our life? Well, first of all, they were the original recipients of this book of Revelation. Asia Minor, where these cities are found, is modern-day Turkey. And it, you can go almost in a counterclockwise uh, way of going from Ephesus all the way over to Laodicea. Every single church had a, a different uh, reprimand. Only two of them, Sardis and Philadelphia, had no reprimand from Jesus at all. And all of them had counsel on what to do in the next steps. So Jesus was addressing those churches. In fact, you can divide up this book in three, three parts. Chapter one, the things that were, the things that were seen. Secondly, the things that are. That's a seven letters, seven churches in that day. And then things which are to come, beginning in chapter four through the rest of the book of chapter 22. We find these seven churches, and one of them we want to concentrate on this morning, the church at Philadelphia, a committed church, one that says, Jesus said, I've put before you an open door. Look in verse 7. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One and true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Now, why this church? No other church among these seven does Jesus say, I've set before you an open door. What is that door? What is that opportunity? How do you get that? How do you open the door? How does Jesus open the door for you? And what's on the other side of the door? I mean, you want to know that, right? I mean, don't you want to know what's on the other side of the door? You know, my, uh, my wife and I sometimes stay in different cabins or whatever up in the mountains. You know, that's, we're from Florida, so we go to the mountains for vacation. All the people in the mountains come to, to where? They, they come to Florida, right? So we go up in the mountains, and there's always, in these rental places, always a door that's locked. You ever notice that? And I'm sure it's all there. Oh, that's just where all their stuff is. But I always wonder, you know, is there a stair leading down, you know, from there? Is it haunted down below? Is this some kind of meth lab or something? I don't know. You know, just, you just, you just wonder what's going on. I, I remember in the movie, uh, somebody help me out, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. In the movie, The Beauty and the Beast, you know, all you men watch that, I know, <clears throat> with your wives or with your kids, grandkids. And uh, they said, don't go into the West Wing. Where did the lady go? The West Wing. You want to know what's behind the door. So we're going to look at those three things this morning. First of all, I want us to see what is the door and what is this open door? What is, what is it all about? It says right here, Jesus said of the angel of the church at Philadelphia. Now this word angel is actually a word messenger. And it really comes from the word where it's used for pastor. And so it is believed that God is holding those seven pastors in his hands. And he says, and the church at Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One. Now, in all these seven churches that he addresses, he describes himself in a different way. He says, I'm the Holy One, the true one. Why is he saying that? Because of what he's about to say, we really need to realize who Jesus is. Now, back in chapter 1, if I can go back there for just one more time, he said in verse 12, I turned around and I was wondering who in the world was talking to me. And verse 13, he says, in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, Jesus always referred to himself as that, it seemed, clothed with a long robe like a king or a priest, a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white. It says like white wool, like snow a sign of purity. His eyes were like a flame of fire, 
Literally, in the Greek, it means a penetrating fire, coming, fire coming out from his eyes, saying to us that he penetrates the hearts. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows the needs of our hearts. Then it says this, his feet were like burnished bronze. In the Bible, that's always a symbol of judgment, of evaluation. So you can imagine what he's about to do is go through these churches one at a time, Ephesus all the way to Laodicea, and he was going to evaluate. It's like picture of him walking with burnished bronze feet all the way through those churches, evaluating where they are with him and evaluating the members as well. He says, I'm holding the seven stars, and we'll find out those are the same thing as, uh, as what we read in chapter three when he says, and the angels, same type of word. And so he's holding those pastors in his hand. And, and right now he says, in, let me go back to chapter one, his feet were like burnished fire, refined as a, in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. It's a voice that wants to speak to you, a voice that wants to communicate with you and I about the mission and about the vision, about other things in our life. In his right hand, he was held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, the word of God, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It's the light of the world. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Literally, it says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Reminds you of Isaiah chapter six. Same thing happened to Isaiah. He says, he turned around, he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My, my sin is apparent before the Lord and he fell on his face before God. Fell on his, his face, the Bible says. The apostle John, like a dead man. So majestic was our Lord. So difficult to even look upon his holiness. What does this teach us? What is the Bible trying to teach us in the very first verse of this passage before he looks at the open door. He says the one who opens up the door for you is not the one picture, picture not the one in a manger somewhere, but rather picture the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign, faithful God who's full of faith, full of love, who died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and powerfully right now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven ever to make intercession for us. He is majestic. He is glorified up in heaven today. That's who is the one who can open up the doors for you. Amen. He says, he says, this is the one. Now, what, what about this open door? He says, who has the key of David. We'll come back to that. Who opens and no one will shut. No matter what door it is, if it's opened by God, no, no one can shut it. And if it's shut, no one will open it. I know your works, and evidently they're pretty good. He doesn't rebuke them at all. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. What is this open door? In the Bible... It could be one of two or three or four different things. But primarily, in the Scripture, an open door is an open door to the Word of God or to the gospel or to evangelism and missions in the world. Second Corinthians says this. Paul says, the Apostle Paul claimed, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. Colossians, he says at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. We're talking about an open door to the gospel. Now, 
Every church ought to have this kind of open door. God wants to place an open door before us, but only he has the keys. And we're going to look at just a moment again at that key, but what about us in evangelism? Now, we look at the past, and somebody says, well, we don't want to live in the past now, Pastor. We want to live in the future. We don't want to talk about just the baptism of the past. But listen, for you and I to really believe God in our life, we look at the past, and we're thankful for what he's done for us on a personal level. Same way with the church. We look to the past and say, God, you delivered here. God, you opened up a door there. Now, he's closed some doors. I remember when I first came here, one of the things in our vision statement, we wanted to start our own radio station. There was only one place on the bandwidth then that someone could start a radio station. As even as we were vote, because, you know, it takes a few weeks, months, years to get something through the church. You know, it just uh, takes a long time. No, it t- took weeks to do it, and maybe a, c- a few months, and we were, we were ready to vote on it, and Z88.3 bought it from yeah. That got ahead of the game. They had the same idea. It was an open door for them, and they've done a great ministry with it, probably better than what we could have done, I'm sure, but it was closed to us, but God has opened other doors. He's opened up the doors to television and uh, also the internet. People are watching on the internet today. He's opened up the doors to uh, a thing that was referred to earlier as a Halloween alternative, Judgment House, where just thousands, thousands of people were saved over about a 10-year period. God opened up the door to Christmas Village. He's opened up the door to us as we've been able to reach out and reach other people for Jesus Christ. Now, some of you, perhaps today, say, well, you know, that's, that's the church, but what about me? I'm frustrated over the doors that are shut for me. I mean, there you are, and you're walking down a hallway, as it were, just symbolically, and you see a door. Oh, that's the door I want to open. That's the door to the relationship that I want. And you pull on it. It's like the cartoon with Tom and Jerry. Am I speaking to you at all? Yes. And, and the cat has got one paw here and another paw up here, pulling at the door as hard as it can. And, you know, the door is pulling out, and then Jerry's on the other side laughing at him, you know, or something, little little mouse. But it's like we're just pulling and pulling. Uh, that won't open up. And we go to the next one. And it won't open up. And the next one. And we get, we get frustrated. That's part of suffering. It's suffering because the doors that you are hoping in are not opening. And we're going to see through this message, if nothing else, how we handle the closed doors of our life will greatly determine the opening of the right doors in the future. We try to pry open the doors, but God says, look, I've shut it. No man can open it. But if I open it, no man can shut it. So how's the door open? I want you to look back up in verse 7 again. It says the key of David. It says the words of the holy one and true one, the one who is holy, perfection, set apart for perfection, true one, never tells a lie. He has the key of David. Now, this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 22 in the Old Testament. And in this passage, Hezekiah's servant or steward is given the keys to the treasures of David. And he is now responsible for all the resources of David's great treasures. This is saying that our Lord Jesus Christ, having died on the cross, raised again on the third day, holds the keys to all the resources of God. Now he has the keys. Notice it says, I've opened a door because you have little power, verse 8. 
You've kept my word, not denied my name. Behold, I will make you of those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn and you have loved me or I've loved you because you have, listen, you've kept my word about patient endurance. How do we do this? Well, this word, endurance, comes from two Greek words in the original language of the Old New Testament, hypomeno, hypomeno. And it means hyper, it means the first word, hyper, and, and the second part of that means to stay, hyper, stay. Same word used about Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him, endured the cross. He hyperstayed the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The same endurance described in Jesus' life as he went to the cross is in us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Endurance is this insurmountable opportunities. This endurance of patience is really suffering. It is, folks. I mean, that's, that's really kind of part if you take away the painful suffering of the body and different, different things that goes on in our life, you take away a few things, a lot of our suffering is centered around this one thing. I, I'm disappointed. I can't wait. I was counting on this. I was hoping in this open door, but the door didn't open. It's suffering. And notice it says here, part of the suffering came in verse 9 from the synagogue of Satan. Now, a lot of, a lot of churches are going through all kinds of trials. We've been through trials. Almost every church goes through a trial, and many trials usually. Uh, many of uh, the, the common, I mean, people like me, I, I don't know about somebody else's church, and so I don't know what even goes beyond, behind the scenes. But listen to this church. They had opposition from the very synagogue of Satan. Wow. Man, that's pretty tough, tough stuff. Now, we've had opposition as well. In fact, I don't know if you've ever... You, some of you won't remember this, but Paul Harvey. Anybody remember Paul Harvey at all? Uh, I think he's, uh, he's dead now. Back in 1965, he was on the news all the time and had a, a really special type of delivery. And he wrote something up called, If I Were the Devil. And in this, he said, If I Were the Devil, here's how I would attack America. And it comes up on Facebook all the time because that's exactly what Satan's done. I mean, he, he wrote his playbook for him almost. Well, if I were the devil, let me tell you something. I, 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 would, <clears throat> I would have come up 12, 15 years ago and saw this church baptizing so many people, seeing so many people called out into the ministry, and this is the church I would attack. I mean, it just would be. I'm not the devil, so don't think that I am. <laughs> I'm not. But if I were, and certainly we've endured our setbacks as well, but how we respond to suffering and trial and closed doors in our life are going to determine the keys it says right here. If we just were to take this one passage, it would say right here, look, the key to getting the door open for you and getting in the right direction where the door is open for you is to endure the closed doors. And as a church, we've endured the closed doors and God has come and rescued us and given us those open doors. 
But notice what they were enduring. I'm going to skip back up. I'm going to go back up to verse 8. He says, you have a little power, just a little bit of power. Boy, this is not, doesn't sound like much of a compliment, does it? You've got little power. Well, the city just didn't have much power. It was kind of like a, I don't know, a suburb of a big city, like a little town next to a, a big city that maybe had theme parks. I don't know what I could be talking about exactly, but no, I mean, I hear stories all the time. Oh, when I moved to Oviedo, all they were were dirt roads. I remember one of our dear saints, W.A. Ward, one of my, oh, one of the best men ever come to this church, died a few years back, but um, he was telling me at one point, and you know, he probably wouldn't want you to know this, but he, who's going to tell on him? You know? He said... He said, uh, preacher, that's what he used to call me. He said, I'm thinking about maybe moving out of Oviedo. I said, why would you do that? He said, the traffic's just awful. <laughs> there were five cars backed up in our red, one red light just the other day. Small town, small place. What could God do through Oviedo? What kind of vision could he give us? Who would have thought that we'd have had a building like this? Who would have thought? 6,800 baptisms later since the church was planted. Who would have thought those kind of things? Who would have thought about 18, 118 people being in the ministry right now, somewhere in the world that came through this church? Who would have thought? Little church, you've got a little power. You kept my word. Notice he says, you've kept my word. Listen, when you keep the word of God, you'll trust the word of God. You believe the word. Since the foundation of this church, this book has been taught and preached from a pulpit in one of these buildings, or a building that has uh, been torn down since. All the way back to 1869, the word of God has been preached. Notice it says, and have not denied my name. Wow. With all the persecution that was going on in that church, then we look down in verse 11. He says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. They have been proclaiming the, tr the truth. They were holding fast to the word of God. They had a crown. This crown was going to be an evangelistic crown, according to the scripture. They were leading people to Jesus Christ, even in that small town. They were looking and sending out missionaries from that small town. Here at this church, we've started four churches just in the last three years. We baptized these people today. We're still preaching. We're going through the book of Matthew. You can pick up the next, next series next year, next week called The Verdict. We're at the end of the book of Matthew. We're preaching through the book of, the, of, of Matthew. How you handle the closed doors will greatly determine the opening of the right doors in your life. Patience, enduring, believing the word of God, keeping the word of God, being faithful even in the little power and the helplessness of life. And he says, even though those doors may be locked, you remain faithful, other doors will open. Well, what's behind the door? I mean, you want to know, right? You want to know what's behind door number one, or door number two. What were the blessings? Notice in verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. A temple, in the, a, a pillar. 
What is a, you know, right now you can look at the ruins. I wish I brought a picture, really. The ruins of Philadelphia, old Philadelphia. It was destroyed by an earthquake in AD 17. Um, but the ruins of, the pillars of one of the temples is still standing. Several of the pillars. There's a remnant where Philadelphia used to be. There's a remnant in the middle of Muslim country and the middle of the Muslim uh, arena of life, a remnant of believers still there, faithful and true uh, to our Lord. But it says here, a pillar. One of the things that we lost during the fall with Adam and Eve was security. We just lost our security. I was reading Larry Lawrence Crabb's book, uh, Inside Out, and uh, I think that's the name of it. He said, the two things that people need the most in life are security and significance. And he goes on to divide it. This counselor, he divides it by saying, women lean more toward the security, but men need it too. Men lean more toward the significance, but women need that too. Significance, security. Notice right here, it says, you need the foundation. You need something to build upon. You need some stability in your life. He says, if you overcome, if you respond well to the closed doors and you remain faithful to the word of God and you keep the word of God. He says, what I'm going to do for you is give you stability, strength, and security in your own life. A pillar. Then he says, I'm going to give you something in the future. He says, remember we said security and then what? Significance. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of God. Two things here. One of the things we lost at the, the fall was our name. And you know, you know, guys, we want to make a name. We want to make a name for ourselves, a legacy. Why do you think people give away so much money to colleges, have a building named after them? They want something on a building that says, remember me. And then somebody walks across that building 50 years later and says, who was that guy? They, we don't know. I guess somebody gave a lot of money for a building. We want some sort of legacy in my, our life because we don't, we don't feel like we have a name. God says, I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you that kind of significance. And he says, I'm going to give you a future place. One of the things at the fall, you know, we lost our home. Adam and Eve were excommunicated from the Garden of Eden. Don't have a home. He says, I'm going to give you a home. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. Our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. As the video said, we want our little preschoolers to know in their mind, their subconscious mind, everything about their heart to say, I know Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. Then they get into elementary school, and we want them to know the stories about Jesus. We want to know the heart of Jesus, but more than anything else, most, most children, most people, when they do receive Christ, they grow up in church and receive Christ, they do it in elementary school. We want kids to graduate the fifth grade knowing Jesus Christ. Amen. But you know that, diff- thank you for that amen. Do you have an amen? amen. Young people. They get all kinds of challenges in life, and it's not just in college. They get their faith attacked in middle school, in high school, 
How are they going to believe God? How are they going to believe the Old Testament? How are they going to believe in a miracle like the resurrection of Christ, the birth of Christ? Jesus died on the cross for them. Seems so otherworldly. They don't learn that in history. They don't get that in science. It's a secular, it is a secular education. We've had that for almost 100 years. They don't want to mix anything about religion. Where do we come in to put it in perspective, to build their faith, to let them know that Jesus Christ has done something great for them so that when they graduate, they're not going to drop out of church and doubt God. They're not going to be tempted away with sin because you've got a temptation out here, maybe a sexual sin or something else with alcohol, drinking, drugs. You've got that kind of temptation, and they think, well, I don't even know if this stuff's even true. Why should I sacrifice anything for that? But rather, they have such a strong faith that they'll want to follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because they know they could do all these other things, but if they do that, they're going to sacrifice their fellowship with God, and that's so precious to them. We want to be precious. They say all but about 6% of the people that graduate from high school drop out of, drop out of church at some point. That's just unacceptable, folks. It's just unacceptable. We have people compromising the Word of God. We think to ourselves, if we just say the Bible doesn't say this and the original language doesn't say that, and we're more politically correct, that everybody will come. But all we're trying to do is gain a crowd. We're not trying to do that here. Now, we want to be an, an attractive church, but we want to make you attractive. So the people will want to know about the hope that is within you. I've said this before. This book is not evolving. I saw this on a, on a, on a program um, not too long ago where two guys were kind of arguing about the Bible. And one was actually a guy I know, and the other guy was a guy I don't know. And the guy I don't know said, oh, the Bible is not a static book. It's evolving, and it has to evolve to, 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 to our culture. Well, I mean, that's just the opposite. In fact, what culture are you talking about? Well, it's the American culture, Western civilization. This book is, has to be anti-cultural in some way in every culture that has ever been since Jesus Christ inspired through the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God in the first place. It has to. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. I've said this before, but some of you sleep, and so I'm, I'm going to say it again, all right? Even right now, you look at the culture of the Middle East. They love, they, they love and they accept everything really our, our Bible says, different Bible, but it's a, I mean, a different book altogether. It's not a Bible, but it's a different book. But they accept everything in our book that has to do with morals. They say, that's right, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But you talk to them about forgiveness, you talk to them about love. You talk about, to them about grace, second chances. They don't like any of that. See, th this Bible, as far as they're concerned, needs to evolve to their culture. On the other hand, Western civilization says, oh, we love the passages about forgiveness and love and grace, and Jesus is just a, a grandfather, and he's lovely, and he's wonderful, and he's beautiful, and, and he forgives everything, and I can do what I want to do. We... We think, oh, we love those passages, but that stuff about judgment, that stuff about morals, oh, we hate that. Which culture are we talking about the Bible evolving to be, be similar to or like, to match? And then when you multiply that by many cultures, thousands of cultures in our, 
in our world today, and tens of thousands of cultures over the last uh, 2,000 years, which, which culture are you talking about? See, the Bible is always going to conflict with every culture because it's the truth. It's not only the truth, but it doesn't waver. It helps us. We obey that. Listen, if we obey this, we will live a happy, victorious life. Now, that's the problem, isn't it? It's, it's tough to obey it all. But if we did, it would happen for us. We want our young people to come out of, of high school into college passionate for Jesus. So when all the trials and troubles that they face just like you and I face every day for the rest of our lives, because that's just life, we're going to be able to trust him because of what we've learned. Well, that's the mission. Because why? We want to make a difference for Jesus Christ on this earth. Yes, we're only one church, and we even need help in Oviedo, much less the rest of the world. But we can do our part, can't we? We can do our part. And during the next few years, three to five years, our vision of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we live, work, play, or go includes this. We want to plant three international churches through Compassion International. Now, Compassion International is, is not a church planning organization. They, this is new to them. What they do, they go in into an existing church in a very needed area, and they gather the children around into that church, and two or three days a week, they feed them, they teach them the Bible, they teach them about uh, jobs and etiquette and how to operate in the world. And you come through that, your life is changed. And they do that, and they ask people like you and I to sponsor each one of those kids $38 a month. Now, that's, that's their arm. That's what they do. But there's, they will not go into a place where there is no church. And so our job was to go into Haiti and start a church. We started a church in Haiti this past year, and now those children are being sponsored, and there's, a, there's 150 kids already involved in learning about Jesus. We want to start at least two more of those in the next four or five years. We want to plant five churches in the United States. We've already planted one. Uh, we want to plant uh, at least five more. We're, we're planning right now, planning to do one in L.A., another one in New York. Those are already being started by good people that, that are known by someone on our staff. We want to have, we have 118 full-time people in Christian service in the next few years. We want to get that up to 150 and beyond. If we're going to have a, where the sun never sets on the ministry of our church, we need more people called into full-time Christian service. We want to we want to build leaders once again. Not only just disciple people, we want to build, have a pipeline of leadership building that we're going to be starting very, very soon. Now, we've been building leaders over the years, but it's been more hodgepodge. This is going to be a deliberate, intentional training of leadership in our church. It's going to make you a better husband, better mother, a better community leader, and better in the church, and better in the world. Then, we want to be a, a strong, benevolent provider in our community. It's already been mentioned by Brother Bob this morning about the Secure Oviedo schools and providing them cameras here in our high schools in the Oviedo area. Come and get it. It's coming up in December in just a few weeks. And we're going to be, in times past when we've done this, we've given away 10,000 different articles to needy people in the area. Those people that maybe cannot afford Christmas for their kids are going to be able to come here, get a bicycle, get jeans, get a shirt, something to give them, wrap it up, and put it under the Christmas tree. 
That's coming up in December. And I, I would invite you and challenge each one of you to be involved in that somewhere, even in the giving side or the serving side on that day, or both. We, would, we wouldn't complain about both. We really wouldn't. These are some of the things that we want to do so that that's, the sun would not set on the ministry of our church. Life is filled with insurmountable opportunities. But how we handle the closed doors right now in our life, in your personal life as well, is going to determine in that patience whether you're going to have the patience or not to get to the open door. And the suffering that happens between now and then is going to make us better people, better humans, more compassionate, that when we go through the door, we're going to know how to handle that blessing in our life. But what about you today? What about you? I recall the story that uh, happened in the Alps. Happens a lot. Mountain climbers, usually kind of amateur, maybe somebody like you. Not me, I don't do that, but maybe somebody like you. Um, they climb this mountain, and halfway up the, the summit, there is a, a very large cabin area, and it, it's, it's a big place with got a piano, big fireplace, a lot of food. And every one of these people climbing up, trekking up the mountain will stop there for a break. They need a break in between. So they stop there, and they stop for a while. They have to kind of take off their, their coats and kind of warm up by the fireplace, get some hot chocolate, maybe get a donut, something to eat. And uh, the owner of the establishment often makes the observation that a large portion, not half maybe, but a large portion of the people that are climbing, trekking up the mountain, stop there, and they don't finish the climb. And he said, and it's just great. You know, they're sitting around the piano still and playing the old tunes and singing and having a great time warming up and drinking coffee and hot chocolate. But then as the time arrives where their friends are supposed to be at the top of the mountain, things get quiet. And they get quieter and quieter, and pretty soon they're all drawn to the window, looking up to see if they can get a glimpse of something, wishing, wishing they could celebrate the victory with their friends. But they stopped. They didn't get involved. They weren't all in. He said, every time, every, every single group of people, he says, that will happen. And there's not a one of them still celebrating at the end. So what about us? What about you? Are, are you in it? Are you in it? Do you believe in what we're trying to do? Do you believe that we're trying to teach our children, we're trying to teach our young people, we're trying to teach our adults? Do you, do you believe in the leadership pipeline? Do you believe in the missions that we're doing? This morning, we need to realize that Jesus knows what it's like to be maybe in the, the, in the middle of all that. He knows what it's like to be shut out of a closed door. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he felt shut out by God, his Father, and prayed that God would take away the cross from him. But he said, not my will, God, my Father, but your will be done. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.